Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 139 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi. And I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And on today's episode, we'll break down every team's draft from the NFC West, our final division, in our divisional draft recaps. And this is a division really full of trades, whether it was first-round picks, second-round picks, a lot of teams either acquiring picks via trade or trading picks for players. Tony, how did you see everything shake out here? You know, I I thought there was a lot of risk uh, from a variety of teams in this division, there's a lot of boom and there's a lot of bust factor, really starting with the first team that we're going to uh, review, and that's the Arizona Cardinals. Absolutely. And the Cardinals, one of those teams that did get rid of a pick, but it wasn't their first round pick. They selected eighth overall, and they went with Clemson, linebacker, safety, whatever you want to call him, Isaiah Simmons. And I mean, this is a guy who, you know, you watch him play for Clemson. He played all over the field. He played in the box. He played single high safety. He'd go sideline to sideline to break up passes. He would be you know, an effective downhill player. He'd get into the backfield. He shows good ball skills. I mean, overall, just a very consistent playmaker wherever you put him on the field and a guy that is just a plug-and-play guy in the middle of that Cardinals defense that's going to bring a great deal of athleticism and versatility for Arizona. Well, that's where you and I will differ. I I don't think Isaiah Simmons is a plug-and-play type of defender for any sort of system. In fact, he kind of reminds me of Hassan Redick, who similarly more of a a pure front seven guy, but undersized, you know, uh, was very good, outstanding at what he did in college, but you were going to have to use him correctly in the NFL. And Hassan Reddick has never lived up to expectations. Now, Isaiah Simmons has tremendous upside because of all the elements of his game that you just mentioned, the athleticism, the explosion, the ability to make uh, force the action behind the line of scrimmage, the ability to make plays 25 yards downfield, uh, in coverage, I mean, he was a guy who, when I watched him as a, a redshirt freshman, as when he played safety at, at Clemson, I knew right then and there he was going to be a high draft pick. Did I think he was going to be a top 10 pick? No, but I knew he was going to be a top prospect. But again, I, I think it's a situation where you're really going to have to develop a spot for Isaiah Simmons, and it's not just going to be one spot. It's going to be a situation where you move him around the field to maximize him. I think if you just try and and plug and play him, and I know that in the past uh, the Cardinals have had some success with the smaller college safeties who they've used at at the linebacker position. Uh, But again, I I mean, this is prototypical. This selection is prototypical of what I said, high upside, but a real big bus factor. And the Cardinals next selection has a lot of that as well. Their second round pick 
went to Houston along with David Johnson in the trade for DeAndre Hopkins. And no one's going to question what Arizona was able to do in that trade, getting one of the top receivers in the NFL for, you know, pretty much a second round pick and a, and a very overpaid running back. As a result, no second round pick, but they did have a third round pick and they went with Houston tackle Josh Jones. Now this is a guy who Tony and I have been consistently lower on Josh Jones than a lot of people around the industry. A lot of people were touting him as a first round pick heading into senior bowl week. And he had flashes in mobile, but he wasn't the consistent player, whether it was in mobile or whether it was on tape that you would want to see out of your first round pick. Now, is there upside with Josh Jones? Absolutely. He's got good size. He's a decent enough athlete, but all he has really shown throughout his college career were flashes. I do think the third round is a decent spot for him. I think taking him in the top 50 or anything in that range in the top two rounds would have been way too high. I'm okay with him in the third, but a lot of people are really lauding this pick as a huge steal. And, you know, for me, and I think Tony as well, it's just kind of, you know, all right value. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, he was an overrated left tackle in the American Athletic Conference, who, like you said, showed flashes. But he's all, all, oftentimes just so off balance and all over the place. I don't, I don't, there's no way he's going to be able to play left tackle in the NFL. At least I don't project him there. I had always projected him at guard. At the very end, I kind of had to hold my nose and put him on my tackle board and grade him a little bit higher, uh, which I do often. It turns out to be a mistake, and I swear I'll never do it again, although I always do. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, it was good value in round three. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if he turns out to be a starter, you got a starting offensive lineman in the third round. That's always great, uh, great value. If he busts out, well, he's just another third round selection who didn't make it. So yeah, co completely agree with you. I mean, he went where he should have gone. Remember, Josh Jones came into the season graded as a seventh round pick by scouts, despite the fact that a lot of people on the outside were grading him so much higher. So the fact is, is he was selected four rounds earlier than a lot of people thought when his senior season began. And, and that's a victory. Absolutely. And the Cardinals had two picks in the fourth round and they used them both on defensive linemen, Utah defensive tackle, Lecky Fotu and LSU defensive lineman is going to play defensive end for Arizona, most likely Richard Lawrence. Now Fotu is a guy, we talked about him a lot in the lead up to the draft, as we talked about most of the Utah defense. I mean, Fotu is a guy that when he's on his game, looks like he should be a high pick as well. I mean, you know, he's quick, he's got size, but he's explosive off the snap. He can get into the backfield. Uh, he's a better athlete than, um, you know, you might expect for a man his size. The problem is he runs very hot and cold. He'll be dominant for a couple stretches, for a couple plays, and then he'll just kind of completely disappear from there. In the end, that's why he ended up as a fourth-round pick. You see flashes of a top-50 guy, and then you see flashes of a guy who belongs late on day three. He kind of split the means here on that pick. And then 17 selections later, they went with Richard Lawrence. And this is a guy, if Arizona does stick with their 3-4 alignment, solid potential as a two-gap end. He's got huge hands. His hands are 11 inches, uses them very well as well. It's not just the size thing, but he keeps blockers off his body, can get extension, can really make sure that he keeps his eyes in the backfield. More of a guy who's going to stand his ground than shed blocks. He's not going to penetrate the line of scrimmage and make a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage for loss. But a solid player who does fit what the Cardinals want in their defensive ends. You know, the amazing thing is sort of the contradiction in styles of these two players who play on the defensive line. What do I mean by that? If you were to take the intensity of Rashard Lawrence and add it to Lecky Fotu's game, you've got a top 20 selection. If you were to able, if you were, you were able to take Lecky Fotu's physical skills and, and size and athleticism and give it to Rashard Lawrence, 
you got a top 42 choice. I mean, the problem with Lecky Foto, as we say in the business, is he looks like Tarzan and plays like Jane. I mean, that, that's the bottom line is he was one of the most physically impressive defensive linemen at the combine. Guys I talked to who were at the away and said, wow, I mean, the, the body, the physique and everything. But as you said, he does, doesn't always play to it. I mean, it, it's flashes and it's a lot of inconsistency where Rashard Lawrence plays hard on every single down but he doesn't have those great physical skills. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the light goes on for Lecky Fotu, because if it does, uh, the Cardinals could get, could turn it, uh, could have one of the be- bigger steals of this year's draft. No fifth round pick for Arizona. They did have two selections in round six and round seven, and they stayed in the Pac-12 just like they did with Lecky Fotu. They selected Cal linebacker Evan Weaver in round six and Arizona State running back Eno Benjamin, two guys who were in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. And Evan Weaver is a guy, I mean, his tackle numbers are truly insane, and they got even better this year when Jordan Kanoshik moved on from that middle of that Cal defense. Both of those guys just racked up the tackles in the middle of the defense. The problem with Evan Weaver is athleticism and just an inability to play in reverse. That was only confirmed at the Senior Bowl. It was a big opportunity for him to show that he could be more of a three-down linebacker. He didn't fully take advantage. I think the sixth round, though, is a good spot and a good value for him because he's the kind of guy, he's going to be a thumper on the first two downs. He's got good instincts. He plays faster than his 40 time. He's just a very good football player who's going to make an impact on special teams and also likely as a backup on the depth chart. And Eno Benjamin, I mean, this is a guy I did not expect him to fall all the way down to the seventh round. I wasn't quite as high on him as Tony was. Tony had him as his number five running back in this year's draft. I liked Eno Benjamin a lot. Thought he was kind of a fourth round type of pick. I mean, this is a guy, he does have a lot of tread on the tires. He's a little bit smaller for the style that he plays. He's an inside runner. Um, you know, he doesn't quite have the size to be that kind of banger, but he also shows ability as a receiver, shows the ability to, you know, get outside, break tackles a little bit. So, I mean, this is a very good back. I mean, the Cardinals got rid of David Johnson in the offseason. They still have Kenyon Drake playing on the transition tag. They still have Chase Edmonds uh, from the draft a couple of years ago. And Eno Benjamin just gives them another option in the backfield and, and really a guy who should have gone a lot earlier. It's funny because their two fourth-round selections have contradicting styles and substance where both of these guys uh, are one and the same. They're outstanding football players. They're intense football players. They're instinctive football players, yet they're very average athletes, which is why they fell. You know, you, you said it about Evan uh, Weaver. He plays much faster than his 40 time, but he's really best in the box, uh, up the field, out to the flanks. But when he's got to cover a lot of area, especially going in reverse, he really struggles. But he is an intense, explosive uh, run-defending linebacker who plays with just great suddenness and nastiness. So I think in the, in the Cardinals 3-4, there will be a spot for him, as there will be with Eno Benjamin, who, you know, I, I was running hot and cold with Eno Benjamin. But the fact is this is I love this film. And he did very well. I mean, he had three great, terrific days of practice at the Senior Bowl. I understand he's a little bit slower, not the biggest guy in the world, but I think he's in a perfect spot where he's going to be a situational starter, situational ball carrier, uh, you know, a guy who you give him the ball in space. He can also, he runs hard on the inside, also a good pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, I think that the, these two players were a great way for the Cardinals to uh, finish off the draft. Now, several signings after the draft for the Cardinals. A couple guys to bolster the secondary. Jace Whitaker, cornerback out of Arizona, a guy with average speed, runs in the mid four fives, but solid size. He's six foot tall, plays the run pretty well, a strong tackler, a guy who's willing to come up and make plays in the running game. 
more of a zone corner, doesn't have the athleticism, doesn't have the true shutdown ability to be a man corner. Again, why he fell out of the draft, but a guy that facing the action can be very effective. Reggie Floyd, more of a run defending strong safety type. He's 218 pounds, a very hard hitter. A guy who's going to come up and really thump you, has a lot of special teams potential, really lacks coverage ability and ball skills, not even just below average, but just almost a complete lack of those skills. So more of a guy who's going to be a backup strong safety type and, and really have to excel on special teams to make the roster. Yeah. I, I mean, they signed a ton of uh, free agents. I like the Steven Gonzalez signing the guard from uh, Penn state. He's more of a backup, but they do, they need some depth. They got some age at the offensive uh, on the offensive line, especially the guard position. I like the signing of Parker Houston, the tight end from San Diego state. He's more. He's a guy you can line up at tight end. He's a guy you can line up as an H-back. He can line him up as a fullback, primarily a blocker. Doesn't do a bad job catching the ball. Interesting to keep an eye on Reggie Walker of uh, Kansas State, who's a real good fit for that 3-4 system as a stand-up pass rusher. Reggie Walker was a guy who was a sophomore. I saw big things from him, but his game kind of leveled off. He came into the season great as a potential late-round pick by scouts. But like, he, like, a, at, at, like during his junior season, he really didn't live up to expectations. He's got a bit of upside, but he's got to really kick it into gear this summer. We'll be back in just a moment to look at the rest of the division's draft picks after this word from our sponsor. Great news. New York and New Jersey have approved the opening of NFL training camps, and many states seem likely to follow. Yes, Chris, the future of sports wagering is finally looking up. Thank gosh. And soon we'll hopefully have the NFL in addition to the NBA and maybe Major League Baseball. And speaking of the NBA, our advertising partners at betonline.ag premiered their special, The Final Dance, with roundtable interviews from ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper, as they discussed ESPN's The Last Dance Michael Jordan documentary. Here is a clip from that series. The interesting, most interesting thing of the documentary was watching this perception that Michael was too hard on his teammates. Did you guys feel that way? Was Michael too hard on his teammates or that's ridiculous. Great players. We can all battle and compete. I mean, I mean, MJ knew who he could talk to. knew who he had to push. He, he was one of those guys who made you work harder. So you see how he worked. So it made you work harder. And, and there was some guys who he would pick on, but I didn't think it was in a way that it was harmful or bullying. It's just that you ain't going to talk crazy to me and don't think I'm going to talk crazy back to you. Right. You know, when he was talking to Scott, when he was talking to Scott, and telling Scott stuff, and Scott wasn't mad enough to stand up for who he was, you ain't doing that to me. I know I mean, I wasn't there, and in, in, you know, for the second three peat, but I knew most of some of the guys on that team, and I know damn well if you're gonna call Hart and a, a few other guys that that are they weren't gonna stand for that. I'm pretty sure they edited that out of the documentary that Hart going back back at him on that. But saying that, let me clear something up about this food thing that he. Tried to take my food. I was just going to ask you. Listen, <laughs> listen to me. Listen, I, I, where's the camera? <laughs> I would have beat his 
guys. <laughs> he can say to the stewardess all he want to, oh, yeah, he shouldn't eat. That's okay. Go ahead. You know, I'm going to say what I have to say. But you come back and try to take my food. I would, I would have whipped his. It wouldn't be no Air Jordan right now. Yeah, it wouldn't have been no six championships. I guarantee you that. As you can see, there is still fun to be had. So go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag. And use the promo code MYPOD100. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Moving on here, we're going to take a look at the San Francisco 49ers draft, the team that lost in the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs, yet still ended up with two picks in the first round. One of them came via the DeForest Buckner trade with the Indianapolis Colts. And with that selection at number 14 overall, San Francisco selected South Carolina defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw. Now, Kinlaw is a guy also in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. Didn't make it all three days. Uh, would have been a treat to see him continue to play there, kind of like it would have been a treat to see a guy like Marlon Davidson continue to play. Both guys left practices early with injury, didn't end up coming back. But, you know, Kinlaw is a guy who, you know, everyone wants to talk. It's a great story. He was homeless at one point, ended up obviously on scholarship at South Carolina. A really good player, an explosive athlete. I mean, San Francisco just didn't want to pay DeForest Buckner in the end, but they got almost a like-for-like replacement. In a guy like Kinlaw, a guy who's going to disrupt plays in the backfield, can provide some interior pressure as a pass rusher as well. And he can also hold up against the run. A lot of upside in this Kinlaw pick, but he does have big shoes to fill with Buckner leaving San Fran. You know, on face value, I'm not a big fan of this pick because all they did was they trade, traded a proven playmaking veteran in the Forrest Buckner and replaced him with Javon Kinlaw. Kinlaw has an upside, but he, you know, he's he's – a guy who needs a lot of work on his game. There were some some teams that really didn't like his character, uh, for better or worse. Uh, he's an easy guy to root for. He's shown, you know, he went a guy, from a guy who was 335 pounds as a junior, came back for a senior year, played at 305 pounds. He's explosive. He's athletic. Uh, you know, I, I don't like the pick from the sense that they traded Buckner basically and replaced him with Kinlaw. Now, the other side of that argument is they saved a ton of money on DeForest Buckner. And then they were able to bring Trent Williams in who they traded a pick for at left tackle. And they signed Williams to a significant contract. And now they got, they filled the hole with a proven veteran at left tackle, the all important left tackle position to protect Jimmy Garoppolo so, you know, if you look at it from that point of view, I can understand the selection. Yeah, I mean, essentially it's a reallocation of funds. They decided to go with the cheaper option at defensive tackle, and, and they're still pretty loaded on the defensive line. They spent a lot of high picks there and everything else. And as you said, took advantage and, and got Trent Williams for, you know, a, a trade, I, I think it was a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick. Um, you know, just, they didn't give up the value for Trent Williams that they would have normally had to give up you know, if he had A, played football recently, and B, wasn't, you know, essentially as good as gone from Washington. So, yeah, just a reallocation of funds for San Francisco. They definitely downgraded on the defensive line, but they took that money. They spent it elsewhere, and, you know, hopefully for them and, and for their team, it does work out. Their second first-round pick was Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver out of Arizona State. Bit of a surprise, considering some of the wideouts that were on the board at the time. 
But the Niners came out and said afterwards that they like how Ayuk fits their system. Um, he's a guy who makes his living after the catch. You get him the ball in the short field, and he can make plays, whether it's taking the ball to the house, whether it's just weaving in and out of defenders to pick up extra yardage. He's also a good player. He's not the fastest player in the world, runs around a 4-5, but very explosive, a guy who's quick in and out of his breaks. You know, he's a player who will probably fit pretty well with Debo Samuel. I mean, these guys don't necessarily have overlapping skill sets. I can get deep a little bit better than Debo, but both are guys that Jimmy Garoppolo can get the ball to within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, and they can make a lot of things happen after the catch so that Garoppolo doesn't have to make all the plays in the air to them. This was absolutely a pick, a system fit sort of pick. This was like a Seattle Seahawks type of selection where they didn't go best available athlete or best available player. They took a guy, the best available fit for their system. That's exactly what it was. I was told that Michael Pittman was also in the conversation to be selected here. But in the end, they took Ayuk for all the reasons that you mentioned. I was never very high on Ayuk as a first round selection. He doesn't have great size, doesn't have great speed. He's a good route runner, good pass catcher, solid running after the catch. But the, when you look at it from a physical skills point, as you said, there were other receivers who were better, were probably more dynamic. I think in Pittman, you had a bigger receiver. So we'll have to wait and see what happens moving forward. But it absolutely was a selection based on a guy that they can slide right into their system. Now, no picks on the second day of the draft for San Francisco. Their second round pick went to Kansas City for D Ford. Their third and fourth round picks went to Denver last season for Emmanuel Sanders, who's no longer on the team and being replaced by the aforementioned Brandon Ayuk. Also didn't have a fourth round pick, but they had three picks, one each in the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. They went with West Virginia tackle Colton McKivitz, Georgia tight end Charlie Werner, and Tennessee wide receiver Juwan Jennings. Now McKivitz is a guy that we've discussed a lot on our show. He's a very smart player, not the greatest athlete, in the world, but he's got strong hands, you know, just a very solid overall blocker, you know, more of a right tackle guard type of guy. He's not going to play left tackle at the NFL level, but I thought this was a pretty solid pick for the 49ers. You know what you're getting in McKivitz, and it's just a very, very solid offensive lineman. Charlie Werner in the sixth round, more of a blocker, 29 career receptions for the Bulldogs. This guy you're probably going to see as, you know, maybe a third tight end in jumbo packages, maybe a backup who's, you know, primary goal is to block and you know frankly when you have George Kittle on the roster you're not going to ask your backup tight ends to do too much which does beg the question why draft one but you can also look at it and say you know they drafted a guy who's going to be an excellent blocker for them in sub packages and then Juwan Jennings 6'3 215 but he ran a 4'7 240 at the combine so the athleticism and the speed and the burst just really isn't there but obviously he's a big guy the contested catch type of receiver he's going to win out in the red zone he's going to win out on the sidelines, but he was a bit inconsistent in college in terms of drops, in terms of production. So he's a bit raw. He's not a great athlete, but there is some upside as like an end of roster type of wide receiver. But overall, outside of McKivitz, I don't know about what San Francisco really did on day three and how much is actually going to help their football team. Yeah, I do like Werner, but, you know, getting to McKivitz, McKivitz is, an outs- you know, is your perfect utility offensive lineman. You know, he's not going to play left tackle in the NFL, but if you need him in a pinch because, you know, Trent Williams goes down and something happens to, ju- to Justin School, you can use him at left tackle, or he's going to back up a right tackle, or he can back up a guard. So when you're a team that was, you know, literally just a few minutes away from winning the Super Bowl, and you get a guy in the fifth round like Colt McKivitz, who I believe will make the active roster, that's a heck of a pick. So I, I think that was a great selection. 
for a guy who I believe will be a career backup and be very good, could eventually start in the right system. Uh, Werner, I, I didn't mind the Werner pick. Again, you're looking at a six-rounder. You're looking at a guy who I think will compete to be the number three tight end uh, for the Niners. Again, as you stated, he's a blocking tight end. You're going to bring him on the field and third and short situations and goal line situations, and you know he's going to do a good job for you. Jawan Jennings, uh, they, they could have signed him as a free agent. I, I don't understand that selection at all. As you pointed out, he's not fast. He wasn't fast on film. It was, it was even slower at the combine. I watched this guy drop too many catchable throws throughout his career. He's a size prospect that I think would have been available as a uh, undrafted free agent. But then again, you know, it's the end of the seventh round, so you're just going to roll the dice. Yeah, I mean, a lot of teams do use the seventh round to kind of get ahead of guys that maybe they're viewing as priority free agents. So obviously the Niners did see something they liked in Jennings. They also saw a couple of things that they liked in undrafted free agency. They decided to bolster the running game a little bit. They traded Matt Breida to the Dolphins. They still have Tevin Coleman there, and they still have obviously Raheem Mostert, who broke out in the postseason last year. But they added two backs to Michael Hasty and Salvin Ahmed. Now, both of these guys, in theory, are the explosive type of running back. Hasty, a potential third down running back. He is explosive and fast. He's not that small either. He's 205 pounds, so he can take a little bit of a pounding. I really liked Hasty. I thought he could have been, you know, a guy that fits into the back half of the draft. So I think San Francisco did a nice job picking him up. Now, Savin Ahmed out of Washington, explosive film, but he ran a 4.62 at the combine, which is why he fell out of the draft. When you're a smaller back who relies on speed and explosion, you can't run a 4.62 and expect to get drafted. He's a bit lean for his 197-pound frame as well. He was never highly productive as a receiver, so a bit more lukewarm on that. But it's obvious, at least in terms of the running back position, that San Francisco had a type that they wanted to address. Yeah, I think Hasty makes up for the Juwan Jennings selection around seven. Not a great perimeter runner, but as you said, you know he's explosive and he breaks long runs from the line of scrimmage. I think he's going to fit in terrific as a situational ball carrier. I, I think uh, Darian Daniels was another terrific signing. I liked him better as a 3-4 nose tackle, but I think in the uh, Niners uh, system, he'll do very well. I think he's a, a guy who you know, will push for a final roster spot. I think DeMarcus AC, the cornerback return specialist that they signed from Missouri, I think he's a guy who will also push for a final roster spot. They got some depth there uh, at cornerback. Um, but again, with the AC, I think it's, it's a situation where if he shows well returning punts over the summer, he could make the active roster. Now we'll break down the Seahawks draft right after this update from our sponsor. Breaking news. This pubic service announcement is brought to you by our new sponsor over at manscaped.com. Manscaped.com is not just for those sensitive areas, but you know what? I got my manscaped equipment sent to me in the mail. And being that I had not had a haircut in almost two months, I said, hey, you know what? Before I try this on any other part of my body, I'm going to have my wife give me a haircut with it, and it worked perfectly. So if you're one of those people that live in a city that's been on lockdown since March, and you're basically looking like you should have been at Woodstock in 1969, Manscaped could work for you basically before and after. Use it as a haircut now and, and use it with those sensitive areas later on. Now, Tony's versatile usage of the product aside, millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. 
So get 20% off and free shipping with our code DRAFTANALYST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code D-R-A-F-T-A-N-A-L-Y-S-T-S. Manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you, and you can finally get a haircut. Now taking a look at what Seattle did in this year's draft, and as Tony kind of alluded to before, the Seahawks are always a team that kind of just picks guys that fits their system. Everybody looks at who they draft and is usually pretty surprised, and that was no different this year in the first round. At number 27 overall, Seattle selected Jordan Brooks, linebacker out of Texas Tech, an athletic downhill backer, decent size, an aggressive player, average in pursuit, despite the athleticism that he did show at the Combine. I mean, this was a guy that we had discussed in the lead-up to the draft as someone who was rising up draft boards and might be a second-round pick, but Seattle, as they often do, took that a whole step further and took him with their first selection. Yeah, I mean, I was never big on Jordan Brooks. I I like him for what he is, a basically in-the-box explosive guy who sells out to make plays. I wouldn't have taken him uh, within the first 60 picks, but you know what? As we said, the Seattle Seahawks have their way of doing things. They're a team that picks players that best fit their system, and they have to be given the benefit of the doubt because they've been such a successful organization the past – you know, what is it, almost 10 years now, um, that it, until it's proven otherwise and these guys turn out to be complete busts, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll see what happens once Russell Wilson's no longer there. Uh, but in the second round, Seattle took Tennessee edge rusher defensive end Daryl Taylor. Now, this is a guy who, coming into the season, a lot of people had high hopes for Taylor as, as an upside type of player, you know, thought he could develop into a top 30, top 35 type of pick but he played the entire season with a stress fracture in his shin, as Tony initially reported. Um, He still had eight and a half sacks despite that injury. So, I mean, still a productive season, but not the season that I think a lot of people expected from him. Didn't end up rising into the first round, but did end up as a second round pick, which did still surprise some people. But in the end, a guy with a lot of upside here, maybe a reach on a lot of people's boards, but I actually think this was a pretty decent value pick. Terrific athlete. Fits that Seattle Seahawk Leo position, you know, uh, like a glove. The thing with Daryl Taylor, or my issue with Daryl Taylor, even when he was healthy as a junior is, you know, he had high production numbers, but the production came in bunches where he was having games with three and four sacks, and then he disappeared. So it's a matter of him being consistently productive and learning to consistently play at that high level. Tremendous amount of upside. If it clicks, uh, this was a huge, uh, huge steal for the Seahawks. Now in round three, it picked 69 overall. Seattle went with LSU guard Damian Lewis, a guy that we saw up close in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. 327 pounds, but ran a surprising 40 at the Combine. Maybe a slightly better athlete than some people would have considered him being what he was at LSU, which was a strong, explosive, small area type of blocker. A guy who, you know, you're not going to ask him to pull out in motion. You're not going to ask him to get to the second level. You're going to keep his responsibilities small, but he's a guy that in that small area is a mauler and is a guy that can control defenders, but he's not the kind of guy that's going to recover if he's beaten initially. Uh, You know, he needs to get his hands on you quickly and put you down in order to be successful. I think there's, this is a good selection. When you look at Mike Ayupati, the guy's 33 years old, had a very long and storied career, but eventually it's got to end. I was hot and cold on Lewis. I don't think he's that great, but he's got the size. He's got the tenacity. Uh, He doesn't play to his athletic numbers, but 
obviously those uh, that athleticism is there. I think overall where they got him in the third round, when you look at the fact that, you know, he, you're, you're looking at a depth player who you could develop for the future. I like this selection. Pair of fourth round picks for the Seahawks, Stanford tight end Colby Parkinson and Miami running back DJ Dallas. Parkinson stands 6'7". He is a towering guy, and he knows how to use that frame to keep defenders off him. A solid receiver. You get the ball into him, and he's most likely going to catch it. A very consistent player in that sense, but an average athlete, you know, not the kind of guy that has a ton of upside, does need a little bit of work as a blocker as well. I mean, he's 6'7", and the leverage game isn't really something where he's going to win, so he's got to work on that. But a solid player who could provide some good depth for Seattle. And the same thing can be said. For DJ Dallas, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type of player. He can catch passes out of the backfield, but he's not a dynamic receiver. He can run inside, but he's not a super powerful runner, even though he is about 217 pounds and does show some power. As a runner, he's a decent pass blocker as well. The kind of guy that you really plug in as a backup. You can trust him to play a bunch of snaps every game, but he's not you know, a guy that's going to be oozing with upside you know, to be a potential starter down the line, but a very good player and a very good pick nonetheless. Yeah. You know, uh, Parkinson is what he is. He's very good at at, as being a pass catcher. He's almost like a, uh, a very large, a very tall possession receiver uh, in in the place tight end. He's got to improve his overall game, but I think, you know, he could make it as a third or fourth tight end. He's a good red zone threat. He's got consistent hands. Not the fastest guy in the world, but I, I think he's solid. DJ Dallas, I was never. I, I thought of him as a, uh, a late round pick. I thought the fourth round was a bit early, but again, go back. This is a guy who's a good fit for the system. You know, you mentioned what he does well. He's also got to stay healthy. Didn't finish the 2019 season healthy, and I think he caught a lot of people by surprise by entering the draft. Uh, but again, with the with Penny with Penny's injury and the fact that they rotate their backs. I could see Dallas making the active roster. Now, three more picks on the third day for the Seahawks. Syracuse defensive end Alton Robinson, Florida wide receiver Freddie Swain, and LSU tight end Stephen Sullivan. Now, Alton Robinson, kind of the opposite of the last two guys that we discussed in the sense that he is a very good athlete, uh, but he's a bit small, good upside, but a guy who was really better in 2018 when he had 10 sacks than he was in 2019 when he had four and a half sacks. If Seattle can get him back, to the player he was in 2018. This could end up being a solid pick as a guy who can produce in sub packages. Freddie Swain, just another guy in that Florida receiver rotation that didn't really produce a standout player. Obviously, Van Jefferson was a second-round pick, and in a lot of ways, Freddie Swain is like a poor man's Van Jefferson. He's a good, solid route runner, an average producer, um, you know, a little bit below average size, a little bit above average athletic ability. Um, You know, a guy that, you know, you're looking at, as a depth receiver, a guy that you might be able to get a little bit more out of at the NFL level than Florida was able to get out of him at the college level. And then Stephen Sullivan, a guy that came onto our radar really at the senior bowl. I mean, he played well. He was one of the better tight ends down in Mobile. There's a lot of talk that Seattle was going to convert him to the wide receiver position since he is a little bit small, but they did confirm that they're just going to use him as more of a move tight end, even though they have like eight tight ends already on their roster. A good athlete, but limited production played behind Thaddeus Moss this year. And, you know, just never was a guy that, you know, took the reins at LSU, but a guy that is long on athletic ability and some upside and potential. You know, I had three great days of practice at the Senior Bowl, then went on to have a terrific combine. So, you know, like you said, he played behind Thaddeus Moss, and LSU was not shy for skilled players there, but he wondered why at times they just didn't play two tight ends. 
granted they won the uh, national title uh, w- with their offense. So really, uh, I shouldn't really, I shouldn't be talking, but I think that this is with Steven Sullivan. I think it's a situation where he's either going to be on a practice squad or someone is going to scoop them all up off the uh, free agent wire. If the Seahawks try and sneak them onto the uh, practice squad, and he's going to be a player at the next level. I think he's got all the makings to develop into a number two tight end. Freddie Swain, I mean, like you said, he's, he's solid in all areas. He's He enters the mix in what is already a crowded uh, field at the receiver position where they got a lot of players uh, after uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett who are solid in all areas. I think it's going to be an uphill battle for him. Alton Robinson's an interesting case. I mean, there are a lot of people who thought Alton Robinson could have been a second-day pick came into the season with high grades. He's an outstanding athlete. He flashes ability. He just does not consistently play at a high level, does not consistently produce. If the light goes on, I could see Alton Robinson making the active roster. If the light doesn't go on, I think Alton Robinson's one of those guys that just bounces from practice squad to practice squad. Now, another guy we saw in Mobile that the Seahawks signed after the draft is actually their second quarterback at the time. They've since brought back Geno Smith. And that's Washington State's Anthony Gordon. Late bloomer didn't start until this year, was behind Gardner Minshew last year, who was a sixth-round pick, who's obviously now the Jacksonville Jaguars starting quarterback. Uh, Gordon, good arm, you know, decent work down in Mobile. He had a pretty solid week, but he's got to work on consistency. Hopefully for him that comes with more experience, but he is going to have some time to develop behind Russell Wilson, probably a guy who could land on the practice squad for Seattle. And then Tyler Mabry, another tight end for Seattle, behind Parkinson, behind Stephen Sullivan, behind Will Disley and all the other guys that they have there. A decent blocker, decent receiver, decent athlete, kind of in a lot of ways like the Freddie Swain or the DJ Dallas of, of tight ends here. The Seahawks just seem to be loading up on guys who are you know pretty solid in all areas but aren't standing out in any one particular spot. Yeah, I think that uh, if another team had signed him, Mabry would have a chance to make it as a third tight end. I don't think it's going to happen in Seattle because, as you said, they've got eight tight ends on the roster. Uh, Gavin Heslop of Stony Brook, who was uh, the cornerback who was signed as an undrafted free agent, I think he can compete. Teams, came, teams gave me a draftable grade coming into the season, did not have the campaign, the senior campaign many thought possible, uh, but he's got a, a bit of upside. He's a big physical cornerback, the way the Seahawks like him. So I think there's a chance that uh, if he plays well in camp and in the preseason, he could make an active roster and surprise. Now the Rams are up next, the final team in our draft breakdowns here for the 2020 draft after this quick break. And we're back here to discuss the Los Angeles Rams draft. Now they're the lone team in this division without a first round pick. They gave it away to Jacksonville last year in exchange for cornerback Jalen Ramsey. They did have two selections in the second round. And they used them both at the skill positions, and they used them both on players from the state of Florida, Florida State running back Cam Akers, and the aforementioned Van Jefferson, Florida wide receiver. Now, Akers is a guy, you know, came into college as a quarterback, never really had much production for the Seminoles, ran behind a pretty bad offensive line, came to the combine, showed that he was an excellent athlete. You know, he's pushing 220 pounds, so he has the size and the athleticism to be a featured back. He also has the receiving ability to play on all three downs. The question with Akers is, and kind of has always been, just the instincts as a rusher and just his overall ability as a ball carrier. You know, a guy who, again, struggled behind that offensive line, but also didn't help himself in a lot of ways, did get a bit better this past season. So if he can continue to improve, he can make an impact for LA. And Van Jefferson, you know, we kind of said it about him when we were talking about the Seahawks here, just a very good, solid overall player. He's the son of an NFL wide receiver coach, runs really good routes, has solid hands, 
makes all the plays, does everything he can with the ability he has, but he has average size. He's an average athlete, not a bad athlete, but just an average guy who doesn't stand out there. I think he's a solid player, but you know, with some of the receivers that were still on the board, whether it's Brian Edwards or whether it's Denzel Mims, who went two picks later to the New York Jets, I was a bit surprised to see Van Jefferson come off the board before those guys. Yeah, I mean, Cam Akers, you talk about guys who came off the board a little bit early. Uh, J.K. Dobbins was still on the board. Yep. When the Rams took uh, Acres, and I think J.K. Dobbins is a much more complete back. Uh, he's a guy who I think would have helped the running game, helped the passing game as a uh, pass catcher. He's also an outstanding blocker, which would have helped Jared Goff. So I, I, I didn't understand uh, Acres over J.K. Dobbins. I would agree with you what you said about uh, Van Jefferson. You know, I as I reported coming out of the Senior Bowl, the belief was if Van Jefferson ran well at the combine or workouts. He could go in the second day of the draft. Van Jefferson didn't run at the combine. Uh, Florida never had their pro day. So no one really knows what Van Jefferson runs. And Van Jefferson on film really doesn't look like he runs all that fast. And there were more athletic receivers available, which is why I think that this pick was also a bit of a reach. Now a couple of third-round selections as well for the Rams, Alabama outside linebacker, edge rusher Terrell Lewis, and Utah safety Terrell Burgess. Now, Lewis is a guy, I mean, getting him at pick 84 is pretty good value if he can stay on the field. He has an extensive injury history, whether it was a torn ACL, whether it was an elbow injury that ended another one of his campaigns in college. But he's a good-sized player. He's a good athlete. Played solid in coverage at the Senior Bowl, showed the ability to get depth and, and run with some faster guys at the running back and tight end position down the field as well. You know, a guy that the Rams are going to use off the edge. And again, if he can stay on the field, this is going to be possibly the Rams' best pick of the draft, not even just looking at it from a value standpoint. Terrell Burgess is a guy, again, another Utah guy that we've talked about a lot, can cover, can play the run. He's a good athlete. Only started this past year for the youth, so he's a bit limited in terms of experience. But once he does get more reps and once he develops a little bit more, I mean, this is a guy that has definite starting potential at the NFL level. You know, Terrell Lewis is basically the boomer bust uh, situation that I see with this entire draft, but for different reasons, you know, as you mentioned, it's medicals. If he stays healthy, you know, you're getting top 45 value in the third round. But as I reported, you know, in the weeks leading up to the draft, there are a lot of teams that failed Lewis medically, not everybody, but a lot of teams that failed them and it only took one team. And we saw that team being the LA Rams. He's a terrific fit for their system. He's a terrific pass rusher, but can he stay healthy? I like Terrell Burgess, the player. I just don't know when you look at the Rams, when you look at their safeties with Taylor Rapp, who was selected in the second round last year, with John Johnson, who was selected uh, in, in the third round in 2017. Burgess, to me, just seems like the same exact type of player. I mean, he's not a, a rangy guy. He's better playing downhill. He's better against the run. Uh, I, I, I mean, I like the player. I, I just think the pick in the third round, considering what they already have on their depth chart was a little surprising to me. Now, no fifth round picks for LA in this draft. They did have a fourth rounder and a sixth rounder use those two picks on Purdue tight end, Bryson Hopkins and Ohio state safety, Jordan Fuller. And these guys, I mean, Tony talked earlier about contrasting styles and these guys are also kind of contrasting styles in that Hopkins is, he's a good athlete a receiving type of move tight end, but he's going to need to bulk up. He's going to need to improve his blocking. He's a bit raw in terms of, you know, he had some drops and inconsistencies at Purdue, but this is definitely an athletic specimen. Obviously the Rams have Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett at the position already. Hopkins is more Everett than he is Higby, but a guy who can provide some depth. Jordan Fuller, on the other hand, 
has been very consistent throughout his Ohio State career. So he's a very good football player, just not a good athlete. He ran a 4.75 at the Combine, does have solid size, but just a guy who's going to be more of a backup special teamer type at the NFL level. So contrasting styles with, with these two picks and guys selected about 60 selections apart. And Fuller plays to a four seven five, and he's a guy who I had I've had graded since his sophomore season. You can tell he's a real good football player. You can tell he's a guy that's got outstanding instincts, and he's very tough. The problem is, because of the lack of speed, he can't get to the spot in time to make plays on the balls often. And again, go back to what I say with Terrell Burgess. They draft Jordan Fuller in the sixth round. And they got the same type of player. I mean, a guy who basically has to play downhill. He's got limited range. You know, I, I like the player, but I just don't understand the selection. Bryson Hopkins, I think, was a good pick for their system. They like the athletic guys. They like the guys that get down the field. He has, you know, he can do that. He's shown the ability to do that. I thought he played better in 2019 than he did in 2018. So, obviously, the arrow was pointing up. He's got a great amount of upside. But as you said, long way from the finished product. Now, a trio of seventh-round picks for the Rams to wrap up what was kind of a questionable and, and strange draft at times. Baylor linebacker Clay Johnston, Miami of Ohio kicker Sam Sloman, and Clemson guard Tremaine Ankrum. Clay Johnston is a guy, you know, another guy like Terrell Lewis earlier has dealt with injuries in college, knee injury, foot injury. That's really held him back a little bit. He's a bit small. He's a bit slow, but he's smart. He's a hard-hitting type of guy. You know, really probably going to, be more of a backup on the two deep and, and a special teamer in terms of his NFL impact. Ekram was a guy, I, I actually do like this pick for Los Angeles. He was a right tackle in college. He's listed at right guard on the depth chart. Uh, that is probably the best spot for him as an NFL player. He's a nasty small area type of blocker, but he is a bit limited in terms of lateral quickness and, and movement and the ability to recover. Uh, but, you know, Ekram in the seventh round as a guy who's going to provide some depth, uh, I thought it was a pretty solid pick for the Rams. Yeah, I would agree with that. Although they've, you know, they've got guys. You look at their depth chart: Barbie Evans, David Edwards, Joseph No, uh, Joseph Noteboom. So they've got some decent depth there. But again, it, it was definitely worth uh, a selection in the seventh round. Uh, the other two guys, you know, I was told in the weeks leading up to the draft, Sam Sloman, the kicker from Miami of Ohio, was a guy who could sneak into the late rounds. I hate doing kickers. I didn't grade him, and sure enough, he selected in the seventh round. Jokes on me. Clay Johnston. When he's healthy, he's a real good inside linebacker. It's a question of, you know, getting him back to health and getting him back to where he was, his playing style before the injury. Now the Rams, just like every other team, did make some signings after the draft. Nobody that stands out too much, but a couple of interesting players. Bryce Perkins uh, out of Virginia, the quarterback, a rushing quarterback. Good arm, but very inconsistent in terms of accuracy and, and pass placement. Uh, you know, might not be a guy who ends up at quarterback at the next level. His athleticism is good enough that there could be a position switch in his future. Haven't heard anything from the Rams about how they plan to use him or what position they plan to give him a shot to make the roster at. Cole Cabral out of Arizona State, the center, doesn't have great strength, not the fastest mover. So he's not big. He's not particularly fast, but he's smart. He's versatile. He played center in college. He's listed at center on the depth chart right now, but he could also play guard as well. So, you know, more depth for the Rams along the offensive line. And, and Cabral is a guy, if he does make the roster, he's one of those guys that could last for a pretty good while in the NFL as a cheap, inexpensive type of backup who, you know, really can come in and, and knows how to play his role. Two interesting guys at receiver that they signed, underclassman Tristan Jackson of Syracuse and J.J. Koski of Cal Poly. Uh, Jackson, both of these guys are slightly smaller. They're solid vertical threats. 
I think Koski was hampered by the fact that he never got to run for scouts uh, before the draft. And there was some question as to, you know, whether he's a true vertical threat or whether he's just a guy who was able to exploit the lower level of competition. He catches the ball very well. and He catches the ball downfield. Well, Tristan Jackson, I think surprised many coming out for the draft after just one big season. But again, I mean, slightly undersized has got some return potential could be a fifth receiver that you line up in the slot. Uh, so with, Need at the receiver position with uh, need for more weapons for Jared Goff. I think both of these guys will be in the running to make an active roster. And that's it for the 139th episode of the Draft Analysts presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. We'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week to start our 2020 conference previews. But in the meantime, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Good night. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.